And they're going to do activities and crafts and all kinds of fun concerning Trinity Sunday. And Trinity Sunday is a unique day of celebration and focus for us. Because what makes it so unique is that we don't, we don't get to focus on uh, an event from the life or the, the ministry of Jesus. We don't get to uh, examine God's love and his provision uh, for his people in the Old Testament. Instead, this is the only Sunday of the year that celebrates a particular doctrine. Now, there are clearly uh, certainly events in Scripture that lend themselves to talking about different doctrines, like uh, you know, we use Christmas and we talk about the Incarnation, or we'll uh, look at Easter and we'll focus on the Resurrection. But the doctrine of the Trinity is different because it's not really tied to a particular event. Instead, it's kind of spread throughout the pages of Scripture. And very simply, that doctrine is this, that God has revealed himself to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three persons, yet one God. And immediately, that concept doesn't really compute for us. Right? God is three, but yet one. And when we seek to make sense of that in our heads, we always end up falling short. And, you know, we could try to use uh, various illustrations, whether that's, you know, the egg or the three-leaf clover or some other thing. But you know what? Every last one of those does not work. And if you take those illustrations too far, you're going to end up in some kind of ancient her heresy. So as tempting as it is to try to peer into those inner workings of the Trinity, when we look at Scripture, it doesn't really give us all of the details. Scripture doesn't explain the mysterious way in which God is three in one, only that he is God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. In fact, Trinity Sunday is a great reminder for us as Christians that we can't put God in a box. He's far bigger and far beyond what we can understand. We can't fit him neatly inside our heads. Now, what's interesting is that despite the doctrine's mysterious nature, belief in the Trinity is actually one of the core tenets, one of the foundation concepts of the faith. And while various denominations, we argue about all kinds of different things, like the Lord's Supper, or baptism, or the second coming of Christ, and when that's going to happen, or, or the roles of people in the church, but that's, we don't really argue about the Trinity. And even though some of our Christian brothers and sisters might not have uh, a full appreciation of the historic creeds of the church, every Christian believes that God is the Father who creates all things, that he is the Son, Jesus Christ, who bled and rose to save us from sin, and he's the Holy Spirit who's working and active in our hearts and lives. And it begs the question, why is this, this really mysterious uh, doctrine, why is it so central to our faith? And why do Christians agree on this when it's very mysterious, while there are so many others that are well spelled out, and yet we debate and argue about all those? Well, those are two really important questions. First, to answer the question of why Christians generally agree on this, we can actually thank the early Christians uh, who fought that battle and insisted on the divinity of Christ. See, in order to preserve the faith that is taught in Scripture, 
and it was passed down by the apostles, by the eyewitnesses of Jesus, and the church fathers made statements or summaries that clearly define the faith. And today we call those summaries the creeds. Now the other question, why this doctrine is so central to the faith, now that one is a little more involved. Because if you look at the creeds, the creeds profess, they certainly profess the triune God, and they talk about the general role of each person of the Trinity. The main impetus, the main purpose behind all of these creeds, the main focus even of Christ's ministry, was about answering the question, who is Jesus? And that's why when you look at the creeds, you'll see that you know, God the Father, he has one sentence. You know, God the Holy Spirit, like in the Apostles' Creed, it's like we believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay, the end. And then also the other things. But Jesus, the second article of the Creed, it goes on and on and on. And it details the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's all about answering this question, who is Jesus? And that is the most important question that you can ever ask. Because that, the answer that you give to that question determines where you spend eternity. And there are a lot of differing answers to that question in our world today. For many other religions, Jesus was a prophet, nothing more. For others, he was, he was a, a spirit in heaven who was created by God. And for some people, Jesus was merely a teacher with some really good ideas. For others, he was a good example, showing us how to please God and how to treat other people. Some even think he's a fable, a made-up hero like Superman or Hercules to inspire us. If you look at the gospel lesson, the Jews who were talking with him, they thought that he was demon-possessed, that he was a liar who was leading people of Judea into disobedience. Now, clearly as Christians, we would disagree with all of those uh, answers. They're very seriously flawed. Jesus may have been a teacher and certainly was an example, but he's far more than just that. And according to Colossians chapter 1, our first reading, Jesus was not created, but all things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And Christ's life and death and resurrection are all well documented to have happened in a real place at a real time, verified by real eyewitnesses, so he's clearly no fable. But there are a lot of wrong answers to the question, who is Jesus? Of course, and thankfully, there are also a lot of correct answers that we see in Scripture. Peter gave a really good answer, right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or John the Baptist's answer, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Thomas got it right on after Easter when he said, My Lord and my God. And not only did his followers declare Christ's divinity, but throughout the Gospels, Jesus identified himself as God. Right? He said that he and the God the Father are one. He confirms through the woman at the well in John chapter 9, through the man born blind in John chapter 9, uh, woman at the well, four, chapter 4, man born blind, chapter 9, that he is the son of God, or uh, as a Colossians says it, that he is the image of the invisible God. 
and when confronted by his accusers at his trial. Jesus didn't say anything in self-defense, but one thing he made very clear. He speaks clear that he is the Messiah, and not only that, but that he's the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. Of course, perhaps the clearest identification of as him as being God is in our gospel lesson today. And if you uh, remember in the text, Jesus finishes out this argument with a bold claim, right? He says, that your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And of course, they respond, you're not even 50 years old. There's no way you've seen Abraham. You're a liar. And Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. And if we remember our Old Testament, this is far more than just Jesus saying, hey, I have been around a really long time. Uh, instead, this is Jesus declaring that he is the name of God. So the, the name I am, if you remember all the way back in the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses is approached by God in the burning bush event, and Moses is supposed to go back to, the, to Egypt and declare freedom for the, for the slaves and bring them out, and he says, they're not going to listen to me. Who should I say is going? Who, who, who is sending me? Who should I say that you are? And God's response is, I am. That's the name you should give to them. Say that I am has sent you. And now, fast forward thousands of years, and Jesus is there in front of the Pharisees, in front of these Jews that, would, that were calling him demon-possessed, and he says, I am, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. I am God. So if you look at the creeds, if you look at the early Christians, if you look at the pages of Scripture, if you follow his followers, even Christ himself, they all answer the question, who is Jesus, the same way? He's God. And that truth is also the answer to the question of why the doctrine of the Trinity is so central to our faith. Because if Jesus is not God, then our sins are not forgiven. And if Jesus is not God, then he's a sinner in need of grace, just like the rest of us. And if Jesus is not God, well, then he is a liar. And we're all wasting our time here. In fact, a Christian, by definition, believes that Jesus is true God and true man who died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. And if a person does not believe that Jesus is God, then that person does not hold to the true Christian faith. there's a problem that we as Christians face within this realm too. Because we are those who would say, yes, Jesus is God. And we agree with that statement. And we believe that statement. The problem is we fail to live like it. Because if Jesus is God, then we need to hear his words as commands, not as advice, not as mere suggestions. So let's take one of those words, one of those commands, for example. He tells his followers, he tells us to love our enemies, to pray for those who would persecute us. I mean, how often do we live that out? How often do we live according to that command? Because, man, when we feel attacked by those who differ from us, when we feel uh, like we're being accused falsely, don't we fire back at them? 
And we're quick to paint people in a negative light. And he tells us to pray for those who would persecute us. And I mean, if there is any prayer at all, it's prayer that they would fail, not that they would be blessed. Now compare that with the practice of Jesus, who takes that command and lives it out perfectly, right? Compared to Jesus, who stood on trial and refused to utter a word of self-defense. Jesus, who was, who was hung on the cross, and when he looked at those who had nailed him there, prayed for them. Father, forgive them. Or how about another command? Jesus tells us to love him more than we love our families, more than we love our friends, more than we love our freedoms, more than we love life itself. And he calls us to carry our cross and to join him in suffering for the gospel. That's not a suggestion. That's not advice. It's a command. But we would much rather be liked. And it's a lot easier to stay silent on the gospel. And when we're in life decisions, there are plenty of times we don't consider God's will or what would serve him best and serve his kingdom. Instead, we focus on our will. And on what would serve us best. Instead of making Christ our priority, instead of loving him over all things, we allow so many other things into our hearts to become more important and more valuable to us. It's no wonder that the world looks on the Christian church with confusion and with accusation. Because we say one thing and we live out another. We say Jesus is God. We say that his word is true. We say that that word is life-giving. We say all of that on Sunday. And then Monday through Saturday, we live as if he's not God. And as if his word holds no bearing on us. Those are the days we get to do what we want. Now, what are we supposed to do in light of this hypocrisy? And that's what it is, right? It's, it's saying one thing and doing another. What are we supposed to do in light of that? Well, I mean, clearly, we should strive to see Jesus as Lord in our daily lives. We should seek to, to put his word into practice. We should make every effort to love him with all of our hearts, souls, and minds, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We are, after all, God's ambassadors as though he were making his appeal through us, according to 2 Corinthians. That's what we should do. But as Paul describes and details in Romans 7, it may be what we should do, it's also what we are incapable of doing. He says we're not capable of living this obedient life that we've been called to. He says it this way in Romans 7, he says, In my inner being, I delight in God's law. Right? I delight in God's law. I believe his word when he says that Jesus is God. I delight in that. That's what I believe. And then he keeps on going. He says, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. We believe one thing. And we hold it to be true and we cling to that truth and we need that to be the truth that we see in Scripture and yet we don't live that, that way. And here's Paul 
This, this apostle who has seen Christ with his own eyes, and yet he's admitting, I believe him to be God, and I still struggle. Which is why he continues and says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God that he delivers me through Jesus Christ, our Lord. See, what the world doesn't understand is that all Christians live with this internal war that Paul refers to here. That we all struggle when we say we believe one thing and we don't always live that way. And we do that with our own, with our own human relationships too, right? I love my wife. I know that to be true. Am I always loving to her? Okay, she's not going to confess for me. I'll say it. No. <laughs> that's true for all of us. We believe one thing to be true, and yet we don't. And that's a struggle. And because of that struggle, that's why Paul points us not just to the law that we as Christians are called to believe in and to act, but he calls us and he points us to the hope of every Christian. That not only is Jesus God, but that he is the merciful God who saves us from sin and death. What a wretched man I am. Who's going to rescue me? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus. See, who God is, who Jesus is, is wrapped up in what Jesus does. And if you think back to the creeds, again, that's the focus, right? The focus is less on the Son's relationship to the Father or the Son's relationship to the Spirit. It's more cataloging what Christ has done to accomplish our salvation. He's the God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes that world, he takes our sin upon himself. He's the God who carries our guilt to the cross and suffers in our stead. He's the God who would die, that we would be saved and live. Jesus is the God who forgives sins and who defeats death and who promises to strip death, our own death of its power as well. Or as our gospel lesson puts it, whoever keeps my word will never see death. And through Jesus Christ, that there is rescue from these hypocritical hearts that waver between faithful words and unfaithful lives. See, what makes someone a Christian is not how well we adhere to the commands of God, but rather it's the fact that we trust in the promises of God. Let me say that one more time. What makes someone a Christian is not how well we adhere to the commands of God. It's not about how much we do and how perfect we are. Instead, it's how much we trust in the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy of our God. It's not about the commands of God. It's about the promises of God. See, our identity is not wrapped up in what we do. Instead, it's wrapped up in what Jesus has done for us. And that's because we've been baptized into Christ, which means we've been clothed with Christ's identity, and we've been covered over in his robes of righteousness. And so now, as forgiven and beloved people, we showcase the love of Christ less by what we do. Again, it's not about us being perfect. 
It's less by what we do and more how we forgive and how we ask to be forgiven. It's not about living the perfect life. It's about confessing our sins and knowing they're forgiven by the Savior, Jesus. That's the freedom that's bestowed on us in, in salvation. And this gift of salvation is something that's given to us by each person of the Trinity. It's not just, well, they, God the Father, he's the mad one. He's the one up in heaven who's really mad. No, it's not that. God the Father is not aloof and angry. He created us for this world, and he created this world for us to enjoy. And he provides for all of our needs and continues to bless us despite our sin. God the Father shows us mercy. And God the Son, Jesus Christ, has finished his work of taking our sins to the cross and being that atoning sacrifice for us. He's overcome the grave and he's opened to us the way of everlasting life. God the Father gives mercy. God the Son gives grace. And God the Holy Spirit has called us to faith in this Jesus. And he sanctifies us and he keeps us in the faith through means like the baptism and the Lord's Supper. And on top of all of it, the Spirit resides in our hearts and points us continually to the love of Christ so that we'll have a peace that goes beyond human understanding. God the Father gives mercy. God the Son gives grace. God the Spirit gives us peace. And I want you to look at those three phrases. And it's out of order, but grace, mercy, and peace. Now, if you've been here for a bit and you know uh, Pastor Jack Schneider, he always starts his sermons out the same way, doesn't he? He always starts it out this way. Grace, mercy, and peace. They're yours. And they are. Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ by the working of the Holy Spirit. It's our triune God at work in our hearts and lives providing for us, rescuing us from sin, bringing us to faith and keeping us there. Thanks be to God that he is triune. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for being bigger than we are. We thank you for doing more than all we could ask or imagine. Help us to look to your word and to see who you reveal yourself to be you're the Father who's merciful and providing, the Son who is sacrificial and forgiving, the Spirit who is faithful and guiding. As we see you in the pages of Scripture, may we also see the ways that you are active in our hearts. May we rejoice for the love that you have shown to us. We pray it all in the name of Jesus.